you are listening to The Creator's Conflict, where we will be interviewing creative people about the struggles they face as creators, how they overcome their setbacks, and what they've learned so far along the way. gonna be the last one for the day and then uh yeah snack time so all right i think i say that at the end of every podcast i'm like let's go get snacks <laughs> anyways um i have jason in my hotel room here and we're gonna chat about his work and uh stuff so and stuff and stuff yep. so what's going on it's day six of the <laughs> it feels like day six <laughs> it's been 84 it's years been 84 years in vegas yeah you age that much just by breathing the air. Right. That's what we're all complaining about right now. Yeah. All this natural air, light people. Mm-hmm. Vegas smoke. Totally. Yeah. I know my throat's kind of bugging me, but what are you going to do? My voice was super deep yesterday. Was it? After all that talking <laughs> the day before, I was like, this is sexy. <laughs> oh, man. So, Jason, uh, what do you do? Tell us about your work and yourself. And, yeah, give us a little rundown. All the things. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a photographer, maybe a budding painter. Mm -hmm. I shoot, or I guess my main career's income is made off of landscape photography Mm -hmm. in the selling the art prints side. And then um, not in the cool commercial landscape guy kind. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not that cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, One day, I aspire. And then I also have a portrait collection that i call aria mm-hmm. which was my excuse for coming to wppi i was like i nice. kind of fit in with you guys yeah for sure I'll try it so i'm here mm-hmm. yeah and um and then i teach a course called the art of selling art mm-hmm. so those are my my three things in photography world cool awesome yeah. so how did you get um kind of like started in photography what did you do did you start out with landscapes or were you trying other stuff first or well, uh, I started with landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with just sort of documenting what I was doing because I was stationed in, in North Pole, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like the worst place to go. Really? Yeah. It's, be- it's for the worst place to go if you're a new soldier or airman because they don't, they don't pay you anything. Oh, they don't. Um, you make the same amount no matter where you live. Yeah. And then there's some like local adjustments but most of that's if you live off base. So if you're living in the military-supplied dorms, yeah. then you're just making an E-1 paycheck. And Alaska is, like, the most expensive place in the country. Yeah. So it sucked. Yeah, no kidding. So I couldn't <laughs> go home. Yeah. And I think um, after joining the military, and it was probably, in the end, a good thing because it facilitated me shedding my New York background. Um but I didn't visit home for like five, four or five years. Really? Um, first three years, I couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe by then I was over it. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but uh, upstate New York is where I'm from, and I didn't really feel like, I still don't feel like ever going back there. So um, uh, what question did you ask me? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh, um, how did I get started? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I started taking pictures up there. Um, that was one of the reasons. And uh, it just kind of developed from there. Yeah. So it started with landscapes. I used to do these like panoramic stitches with a 
a little point and shoot that would probably cost like 50 bucks now. But yeah. Back then it was like six or 700 bucks. Right. And, and it, and it went from there and people were like, you could sell these. Yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. So you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I never did. Um, no. not a single person who's ever, whoever encouraged me to get into photography has ever spent any money on my photography. Okay. Um, yeah. And to this day, no one, not a, no friend has ever bought a piece of work from me. Really? Nobody who was a friend before they were a fan. Right. Um, but uh, I didn't start, like, getting into it for real until I was in Hawaii. Okay. Which was like, seven years later. Yeah. Was that also uh, with the military? Or were you mm-hmm. just living there? No, I got out of the military in Nevada. Okay. Uh, here, I used to, this is my last station. Oh, really? I used to be in the desert. Like, so there's Nellis right here, yeah. which sometimes you see planes from, but then there's bases out in the desert, and I okay. was in one of those. And the military will pay for you to go home mm-hmm. when they're done. That's their obligation. So I signed up in Albany, New York, and it cost X amount for me to go from here to New York. It mm-hmm. cost the same amount for me to go from here to Hawaii. Yeah. So I went to Hawaii. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> it was um, an odd decision at first, but I was so getting out of the military. I was so like not clueless as to what it meant, but mm-hmm. just clueless as what to do next. Yeah. And, and there were like opportunities were popping up for the military as I was getting out. And I didn't know if there were like temptations to stay in or, or just some bullshit to keep me wrapped up right. or if I should stay or not stay. And I had a girlfriend who was going to Hawaii and that seemed like yeah. the thing to do. I mean, it makes sense when you say it like that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you're in Hawaii and you just started taking just lots of photos and like, were you posting them places or just kind of like keep them for yourself or, um, Yes, that's Hawaii is where my social media addiction started. Okay, perfect. And, <laughs> um, and I was I was taking pictures and and I was meeting other people who were in photography, which is odd because between then and now, I never I don't really hadn't really met anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, like this whole WPPI coming and hanging out with you, all you, our tribe of misfits, um, <laughs> is the first time that I've gone out of my way to meet anyone. Really? Yeah, I don't. I've never done workshops. I've never done photo meetups yeah. since leaving Hawaii, since the early, early days in Hawaii. But I was meeting people in Hawaii, and they were showing me their cameras. And I was shot a shooting with a an ultra compact from Canon. Okay. So it yeah. was a crop sensor, fixed lens, but it had all the all the knobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was, I reached an actual technical barrier. And I was like, I need a new camera, mm-hmm. but I couldn't afford one. So someone convinced me that I could sell my... I started listening to the people who could say they could sell my work mm-hmm. and sell my pictures. And um, and that convinced me to get a real camera. And then... So that's how I started because I wanted to pay for the camera I just spent all my money on. Yeah. And um, that didn't happen right away. No. <laughs> <laughs> the first camera I bought was broken. Oh, no. I almost gave up altogether. I bought a Canon 5D, like the original 5D. Mm-hmm. And I went and took my first picture with it at 4 a.m. at Eternity Beach in Hawaii. And it was a 20-minute exposure of this cove. And um, so that was what I always wanted to do that I couldn't do with my compact. Right, yeah. the really long exposures. And 
I have that picture and I only just added it to my portfolio like two years ago. Oh, really? After, so that's like five years because the camera I shot with was fucking broken. Yeah. And, um, and it took me five years to figure out how to fix the image. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was my, my first foray into getting a DSLR and trying to do something with the money or with yeah. the, with the photography. But, um, some of the big Hawaii pages picked up some of my, early images and mm -hmm. I guess that really motivated me this one image of Hanama Bay that I captured it's completely empty at sunrise and um, I remember how thinking how cool it was I had like 30,000 something sharers or whatever and I was like wow nice. I'm really gonna make it <laughs> this is I mean well this is really possible and some people bought it and suddenly I um, was doing the thing yeah yeah, and you just kind of kept doing it and just kind of exploring more and... Well, sort of. Okay, so the... Um, did you watch my talk? I watched, like, a clip at the beginning, and then I ha realized I had to go somewhere, and I had yeah. to stop it, and I never finished it, so I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. I just didn't want to, like, repeat myself <laughs> no, if fine. you already heard it. <laughs> but I basically got into photography because I couldn't get a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just telling some other people here, I've never been able to get a job. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was 15, I applied to McDonald's, twice really yeah they wouldn't let, and it was just down the road for me like i could walk to work it's like hey i can be here on time you yeah. know my parents don't have to drop me off just let me flip your burgers yeah yeah um and uh and uh, they didn't hire me um so after i got out of the military i had one job and uh for a year and then i left it because i was going to school for full time and i was able to just live off of my the gi bill income mm -hmm. so after a year i left it and i'd never been able to get a job after that really um so I've been basically a full-time where, where most of my income comes from photography since 2011. And um, after I finished my bachelor's, it was like, well, holy shit. Like, I, nobody will hire me. No one will call me back. Mm -hmm. And I, this is just something odd. And I think maybe it comes, maybe it's like a, hereditary curse because my father never was really able to get a job. Mm -hmm. um, and he runs his own uh he's a scientist and he has his own company but yeah i just it it blows my mind cuz i have a pretty good resume yeah you know ex ex military and i've managed millions and millions of dollars of equipment and explosives and people and and accounts and i have a project management certificate yeah. and a masters in organizational leadership wow and i've never once been able to get a in I moved to Washington in 2014 yep. um, because I couldn't get a job in New York City. Yep. So I had a chance to go to Washington where my sister needed someone to watch her house because she's also in the military. Mm -hmm. And um, and since 2014, I've had one interview. And It's almost like maybe you're overqualified. <laughs> maybe that's why they're not calling you back. <laughs> well, that's, I, I don't know. It's weird. Under-experienced, overqualified, or something yeah who knows yeah sometimes it's weird the reasons they don't pick people too so never know never know but yeah. i started photography because nothing else was making me money mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i just had to do the i i had to just take what works and, and roll with it yeah and keep doubling down yeah so now you're like yeah full-time photographer you're selling your prints um you're doing ted talks which is crazy. I did, I did one TED talk. Okay, well, it's still it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and then you have like your new kind of um, your course coming out soon next month. 
like in a couple weeks? The course started last year. Okay. Yeah. Um, auto selling art. It started as a beta course. Okay. In 2018, mm-hmm. where I was like, people ask questions, and I didn't didn't really know if I had something to share with people, like if what I could say was valuable. So I started a beta course. I was like, hey guys, if you're interested in this whole selling art bullshit, mm-hmm. and you want to listen to it from me, then join this up and and they were like yeah it's great so my first real launch and by launch i, I do that with air quotes yeah is uh it's basically a membership drive okay. but um i did my first launch in march last year and so this will this is my next month is my official one year right with that whole thing and um it, it's ba- basically i just share what i do to stay afloat yeah. and make it into modules and, and try to try to break it up into consumable content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I struggle with it too. Um, I struggle with creating the course, right? You know, like you, like this is your third interview today and you're yeah. like, I'm just done. Well, I do. <laughs> I'll, I'll put together a, an informational thing, um, like about pricing or something. And, yeah. and it, I think my pricing module is like an hour and a half discussion on different ways to price. And I'll spend about three weeks stressing about it. And then about a week and a half, like researching to make sure I can cover all my bases. Mm-hmm. And then I'll record it in an hour and a half. And then I'll be done for like a month and a half. Yeah. And you're like, nope. I just, <laughs> I just don't have the temperament, I think, yeah. to do it. It takes a lot out of you, to, especially when you're on camera or like recording like this. And you always have to be on and like. Like, I didn't think it would be as draining as it actually is to do this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I, like, yeah, I totally get it. And then you also have to have the added complication of making sure your face looks happy the entire time. No, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't ever do no? that. No? No. Okay. Um, that might be one of the faults that I that I have is I, I don't – I can't pretend. Yeah. Like, yesterday I went to sleep because I can't pretend. No, that's pretty and, fine. Um yeah, and some people they I get feedbacks like, "Hey, you're like you're you're real or, and low key," and I, and that's good. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to marketing yourself, yeah, yeah, not yeah, because you can't stand on the like you know in the corner and like smile and be like, "Buy my course, I'm awesome." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I can't even pretend that I'm awesome. Which, I mean, there's course creators here today, yeah. and, and you're like, "Yeah, that person's awesome," you know. <laughs> Like, uh, I'm really interested in everything, like, Steph. Yeah. You know, Steph's got an awesome course, and he's awesome in person. And, and it's like, yeah, why can't I be more like Steph? <laughs> it just takes, like, a certain type of personality to, like, always be like that in public, though. And I know I'm not like that. Like, I, I'm i pretty, like, happy-go-lucky and, I don't know, kind of, like, giddy sometimes. You were sometimes. dancing in the hall. I was. I love dancing in hallways. It's my favorite. But, like, like today, for example... Um, I just like really needed that two hours to myself, just lying in bed eating Cheetos because I just needed to like be by myself and be quiet for a hot second. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like so there's some people that are just always on, and it's like I'm so impressed by them. <laughs> I I can't do that. I can do it most of the time, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. So tell me more about um like your work. Like why why do you like shooting landscapes why was that kind of like your pick i know that like when you started it was probably like the easiest thing to do because it was all around you and probably didn't have models or anything like that but you said now you're doing portraits too so kind of just like tell us tell us about your work 
uh, I think one of the things that first drew me mm-hmm. to photography was the challenge. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was in Hawaii, and I remember hearing someone just talk about how all the photographs are the same. Well, someone criticized me because I was doing well on the socials back when social was all about growth. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, he's just, people like his work just because it's just Hawaii. Right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I started focusing on creating something that was different. Okay. We're trying to create something that was different. So one of my favorite pieces in Hawaii is a piece called, that I call Malia Lanakea, and it means serene seclusion. Um, in Hawaii, is very pretty language. Yeah. And I remember <coughs> shooting that that day, and I went to Sandy's Beach, sunrise. Every day is a vacation day in Hawaii, so you look down the beach, and there's like 60 other photographers wow. side, <laughs> side by side looking east at the sun coming up. And um, and I was like, these guys are all going to get the same fucking image. Basically, yeah. And, and um, so how can I do it different? How can I be here at the same place at the same time and do something different? And in that image in particular, I had like, I walked out over some exposed rocks, like way out into the water. Then I stood up on these exposed rocks and I shot looking straight down back at shore when everyone else was shooting out towards the sun. And, and I'm really super happy with that image. And all of my pictures at first were just about trying to be a, a renegade or something. Yeah. Trying, trying to just, like, I'll show up to where everyone else is and be like, okay, this is what they're doing. I want to do something different. And yeah. I want it to be good. Yeah, yeah. And doing the different and good at the same time was what was really hard. Because um, generally, you know, you show up at those landmark locations and this is the shot you're supposed to take and it always or usually looks really good. Yeah. Um, so landscapes at first were always about me. Maybe I was just trying to prove something, you know, to everybody. People weren't, my family wasn't really into the whole idea of me being a photographer no. um, at first either. So is, uh, you know, blue collar, if you're not sweating, you're not making money. Okay, right, thing. yeah. Um, so I guess I had a lot to prove, um, and maybe to myself too, because ex-military coming from upstate New York, and you just, uh, if I wasn't sweating, I wasn't working. So how am I going to prove to myself that I can do it? Mm-hmm. And then from there, landscapes turned into um, following an aesthetic and trying to stick to a single aesthetic and creating a a body of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And at first, I tried to latch on to these inspirations that I have. If I walk into an art gallery, I'm always called to the same type of painting. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm a photographer, but if I can collect artwork, I'd probably just collect paintings because that's really what I'm called to. But... The camera is what I use, um, and I and I tried to replicate or, or create this big light aesthetic, mm-hmm. and I didn't do it very well. I I didn't, couldn't figure out how to do it when I was trying to do it um, from this school called the the South or the Hudson Valley School of Art. Okay, and um, all of the paintings in in that school of art had this this quality of a massive light source, like a diffused sun yeah. light source okay. that spread through the image and made everything glow in a way, mm-hmm. but glow in a way in a very uh, limited palette. And I didn't understand enough about art when I was trying to do that um, back then, but it did teach me the value in working towards this an idea. And creating around an idea so that you have a body of work is something landscapers don't really do. Right. 
um, they, they just kind of go out and they take a picture of what's pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is where people don't like things that I say. Okay. But it's not art. Yeah. It's, it's documentation. It's creative. Um, you're taking a picture of the landscape and it's what's there, but it's not, it's still photography. Yes. And even as I clung to the idea of landscapes because they were safe, I sort of understood that they weren't, um, they weren't really art. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, that's, you're a jerk. I'm an <laughs> artist because I do this. But just because you make it doesn't make it art. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's creativity plus context equals art. So um, I was always very dissatisfied with landscapes. Mm-hmm. And then when I was getting my master's degree, uh, I stumbled across this idea uh, that I now call comfortable isolation, but it was rooted in this paper I was writing about ego depletion. Okay. And ego depletion, I don't even know if I need to go on this sidetrack right now. That's fine. But it's, <laughs> uh, it's the idea that there's a well of energy in our brains that we use to make decisions with okay. every day. And that well, does you can't make it bigger. You can't dig it deeper. You can't bore out the edges so there's more water in there for you to use, more mm-hmm. energy in there for you to use. It's, that's all you have. You can maybe use it more prote- more efficiently, but as you go throughout your day, your ability to make good decisions goes away. Okay. And um, somewhere related into that was this idea of, of isolation to re- to regenerate that well of energy. Mm-hmm. Like you coming up here and feasting on Cheetos. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, th- and kind of like me going last night to take a 15-minute nap that yeah. lasted six hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, we were exhausted and we needed to replenish that well. So this idea of isolation that is comfortable really stuck to me. And then as I switched rabbit holes and sort of went down a different like ventricle of, of ideas, I started looking into this isolation. And in that isolation is, is growth because ever think that a lot of people are very immature nowadays? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, personal growth happens when you're by yourself. Right. Because you have conversations with yourself, like your, your interior alternative people. Your, your ego and, and everything else, that only happens when you're alone. Right. And when you have a phone or when you have TV or when you have the ability to say, hey, let's meet for lunch. Right. Then you don't have that opportunity to grow. Okay. And those inner conversations are really tough yep. to have because the, there's no excuses. You can't make an excuse to yourself because the other part of you, the other part of that conversation will always call you out. Mm-hmm. So people avoid those conversations. And... So what I wanted to do, or the the idea that I ended up latching onto, is started trying to recreate images around. Yeah, I call it comfortable isolation. It's places where you can find, where you could escape into this like sixty second meditation. Right. And and that was the aesthetic that I've been trying to create yeah. with landscapes. Very cool. And it's research intensive, intensive, yeah, and hyper selective. Yep. So like. The few times that I do go out, people are like, how come you're not taking pictures? And it's, it's because it doesn't fit into the thing I want to do anymore. Right. And um, So you're like, you're really focusing on like your 
um, artist statement and just really only focusing on that. You're not just like taking photos just to take photos. It's like very concise and like narrowed down to fit into like your body of work, which is not something everyone does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't cool. f- if it doesn't fit in the body, then I won't do it. Yeah, I won't spend yeah. any time in it. I met a guy in Hawaii who has one of those art kiosks that you just roll out into the middle of yeah. wherever. Yeah. This guy was a super asshole, but he did say something <laughs> that was um that was really that always stuck with me. He says that he always said, "Don't work on your B roll." Right. Right. If it's not in, if it's not a A plus shot, if it's not exemplary for what you want to create, don't even touch it. Right. And um, and I've just taken that and also expanded it to, if, if that looks like a really fun hike, but I want to go take pictures, then I won't do that hike mm-hmm. because it's it doesn't it's not a productive thing yeah but it's also that whole idea has been very counterproductive it's been very it's created me in a very uh, i've cornered myself into being very isolationist yeah yeah um which is probably a good thing that you came to wppi then (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) it's kind of like a step outside of my box yeah for sure yeah yeah that's really cool um so you're also doing like gallery shows and stuff too so it's all centered around that artist statement um and that body of work uh, well, yes, the idea and a different body of work. Okay. Um, so I do the art expos, mm-hmm. uh, local and the big ones that are kind of far away. Sorry, there's a wire. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> my art rep, though, doesn't like my landscapes. Okay. The art world doesn't like landscapes. Like, outside of photographers, landscape photography is not considered an art form. Right. Um yeah, like we were discussing earlier. Yeah. Yeah, but like up into the art critic world, they don't, they don't, for the most part, they don't even look at photography as art. Yep, that's true. So, um, getting landscape photography into a curated um, gallery exhibit alongside other art is mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. But my that's where my, my portraits kind of come in okay. because my art rep um, saw my Aria collection and was like, yes, you know, this that's is the a stuff thing. They want, yeah. And. Um, so that gets shown in, in at the big art expos like San Diego, New York, Hamptons, and the big one in in Florida every year in Basel. Okay. And um, and yeah, that's that's a whole other rabbit hole for why I got into that. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, the aria. So it, the aria. I call it an aria collection because all of the pieces are based in part on music. Okay, yep. And an aria is a standalone performance by the singer, accompanied mm-hmm. unaccompanied. Yeah. And that idea kind of developed out of my my muse at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had always wanted to do portraits. Like you asked, like in even when I started in in Hawaii, I, I had a few portraits that I'd taken, but I've always been afraid to to talk to women, yeah, I guess. Okay. Especially <laughs> when it comes around photography, because I always feel like, they'd have the impression that I just want to see them. Yes, like the oh, creepy camera with guy. Yeah, or guy, guy with, with camera. camera. Tired, I'm switching yeah. words. <laughs> camera, camera with guy. Camera with guy. Um, yeah, and, and I've always been afraid of that whole idea. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of portraits, and I didn't for, for a long time. And as I kind of worked up the courage to, because I want to do these sort of really painterly, nudes that I call them unrevealing nudes yeah and 
my drive for doing that was sort of building up while I had met this muse and, and she had this strong belief that she wasn't beautiful. And I really wanted to show her that and, and prove that to her. And I wanted to do these type of works. So, okay, that's, there's two ideas. But then I had all these inspirations. When I go to an art gallery and I look at paintings of women, mm-hmm. I'm really called out to like the Cavaggio or I don't know if I said that right, or Asensio. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, uh, these sort of paintings that depicted nudes with um, deep color and, and drapes and, yes. and fabrics and things yeah. like that. So we take that, this one thing that really works for me, and then take this idea that I want to do this thing, and then here's this person who I really desired to make something with mm-hmm. uh, or for, and um, smash all that together. And, and then I created our first picture together. And, and then I wanted to go take it another step because photography and arts... Th- they're mm-hmm. oil and water, yeah. you know, especially at s- some of the levels where I want to be like recognized and purchase that and right. things like that. So, um, so I took it another step fur- further and and started distorting the image and and like there's all these uh, abstractions that mm-hmm. I pull off the image. I don't I don't know if you have one up. Um, I will pull one up right now. Well, I, I take a, a piece of the image and and I sort of add a glitch to it. And then I placed all those on like a Fibonacci curve and, and, I, and I attached everything to her story. So every piece oh. is um, every piece is named after a piece of music that's important to the feeling. Every piece has a duality. Mm-hmm. Um, like the first one, the blue and red one, is yes. strength and the ability to bend and that lends to part of the story. And then the abstractions to represent the insecurity and the duality in color and all that stuff. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I love the draping fabric in these. It is very, like, um, very reminiscent of those painters that you were talking about. So when you're doing these series, is this all the same girl? Um, four of them are the same girl. And then this fifth one right here, mm-hmm. this one's called Fell on Black Days. Yep. Uh, that's Shiloh in Washington. Okay. And then, and then these, uh, the ones that have the earthy tones yep that's another model okay okay so when when you say portraits you're really doing like fine art nude portraits like you're not doing your stereotypical um you know headshots or you know just you know regular portraits like that would be for a paying client like you're still very much like keeping this in like the art world and not trying to go with like commercial in any aspect right yeah that's cool because that's like um Again, not like super typical for photographers. They're always like, oh, I got to do commercial because that's where the money is. Um, but you've gone the complete opposite and you're making all your money off like prints and, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which limited, is cool. Limited editions. Yeah, yeah. Which is like so interesting because, um, like, again, it's like it's the complete opposite of doing the commercial world. It's something that I really don't know anything about because all my work would be considered commercial, right? Because mm-hmm. I do it for either, you know, for clients or to show cl- potential clients what I could be doing for them if they were to hire me commercially. It's not anywhere near like the fine art world. And I got my fine art degree, but I never got into making fine art. Do you know, do you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's really interesting to like talk to you about this stuff. Um, and did you have like art background before you started taking photos? No. None. Yeah. No. You've just kind of just been like figuring this out as you go. 
Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to draw. Yeah. My father is an excellent um, ink. He does ink with, uh, I don't even know what it's called, but he, he's, he's got all the interesting stories. Like he, he, his <laughs> teacher was the last person to make it out of China before it became communist. Oh, really? And then my father met him in New York City because my dad's like a magnet for shit like that. <laughs> and he taught him. And my dad does these amazing pieces of work. And that made it through the gene pool to my sister and I. Wow, yeah. And But but when I was in like high school, or yeah, I think I was like ninth grade, f- freshman or whatever it's called. And uh, I was doing this p- charcoal portrait yeah. of like a Russian woman. And she had this bonnet on and it was winter and there was yeah. like fog out of her mouth. And, yeah, yeah. and she was beautiful. And my art teacher comes over and she's like, this isn't dark. The blacks aren't dark enough. And she takes a charcoal, like super soft, like five B piece of charcoal, and yeah. just makes this dark ass mark in Ooh. one of the sh- in one of the shadows. Like they all have to be this dark. Yeah. And then I was like, that very moment, I was like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck I would have. I would have been so angry. I was so proud of that piece of work, like yeah. that, that piece of thing I was creating, and um, and I just mentally gave up. I was mm-hmm. like art teachers in art and school and that and at the same time i had you know my my parents and and all the practical adults of the 90s and end of the 90s were like there's no money in art yeah and they weren't wrong no they weren't wrong for their for their time yeah but um but if i had continued that i would end up painting something like these artists instead of photographing them yeah do you so you're you've gotten now back into painting you said too um yeah kind of uh i'm a i'm a slow moving boulder okay so um one of my arias what i do is i produce them on a on a heavy like i like the german etching the hana mule paper okay it's like 500 gram weight so yeah. it's really thick and yeah. then i'll paint over them ah. with um with acrylic wow and that was the the whole idea behind the arias so that's what i was going to do exclusively right because i was tired of I, I approach all of my landscape and all that stuff as with a painterly light conception. Yes, yeah. And um, so every time I do an art show, I'm always asked if they're paintings. Oh. And in my head, I'm like, no. You're like, eh. in, in one way, <laughs> it's, it's like they, they like it, they appreciate it, they think it's art. Yeah. But on the other hand, they're insulting it because they're inherently saying that photography is art. Yes. That can't be a photograph because I think it's art, so it must be painting. Right. So I wanted to get away from that i wanted to i wanted just to say yes you know without ever having to answer is it a photograph or is not because there's apparently strokes and brush strokes and all that and um all of those arias they're they're painted in photoshop like um the midnight dove one the one with the yeah the red right here yep yeah that's 90 something hours of painting wow really with gold leaf and blue oh my god yeah because the song Midnight Dove talks about a dove flying through the night and it lands on a copse of trees and the singer is the earth and the trees and she's and the singer says, you can't stay here. Yeah. But a dove won't fly at night. Like you could throw a rock at a dove and knock it out of a tree and it'll be like, oh damn, I guess I got to wait till dawn, <laughs> you know, but in the song, the dove is flying because it needs to go somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Look so at that. they're talking about in the song that the tree is saying you had, you can't stay here for the night. You have to keep going. So the dove is flying through the night toward a breaking dawn so mm-hmm. all the blue is supposed to be the night and then the the sort of shattering gold leaf is supposed to be the breaking dawn yeah wow and then that was that was 90 hours of painting but i i showed that at um 
I showed that at Art Basel, mm -hmm. and as soon as I told people that it was a photograph, yep. you could see that they lost interest in it. Really? Yeah, like if you look at, at the top of this ARIA page, yep. um, there's a picture from Art Basel, I think yes, all the way to the top. that one, yeah. 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 yeah, that's the art show. Yeah. And, um, and there's people would just not be interested in it. And they were produced so this weird. way. Yeah. I shouldn't have produced them as photographs. I should have used a fine art paper and you put them in You should have said mixed media. That's probably what you should have done. Probably. Maybe yeah. I could have said something like that. Yeah. Because you technically could, you could definitely label it as that, like as mixed media. Um, especially if you're going in and you're adding stuff after they've been printed too. You know what I mean? Um, and then it's like technically it's, it's fine art. It doesn't matter if it's photography or painting or drawing or collage or like whatever. As long it, as it's it a does mixed. to the people with money. Yeah, but and it does so to the critics. So stupid. Um, but yeah, if you call it just like mixed media, then like what the hell is he gonna say? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I could be talking out my ass. I have no idea. <laughs> it's just uh, interesting. Like photography is becoming a more and more accepted art form. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, I mean, there's pieces selling in millions now mm -hmm. um but there's still a lot of people who won't put their money into it because they <laughs> i so i just did a project for wyndham um was photographing their hotels mm -hmm. which is completely out of my wheelhouse but they needed someone and someone told them to call me okay so i did it but i'm sitting there taking pictures in this guy's hotel yeah owner of the hotel sitting right there yeah you know and the whole photographing the hotel rooms and stuff is kind of boring so i'm always like I have this like process where like I'll chat them up and then I'll give them my phone so they can look through my portfolio while we're doing stuff so yeah. they're not just breathing over my shoulder. Yeah, they're not bothering you. <laughs> and he's looking at these pictures, talking to me, looking at my work, yeah. pictures that have been in National Geographic, and he's like, I don't know why anyone would buy a picture when they could go out and take it themselves. Oh my God. And I'm like staring at him, hitting the shutter. Being like. On this like <laughs> exposure. I was like, I'm taking your fucking pictures right now. Wow. Uh, but that's just the way that he's a hotel owner. That's you know, crazy. And, and people are just so so. I have like a ship on my shoulder, I guess, where yeah. I, I want to create stuff that bridges the gap. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a a great idea, because yeah, I feel like um, it doesn't matter if it's a true photograph or if there's a you know a bunch of Photoshop done to it, or if you're gonna do like mixed media version. As long as the you know like the artistic elements are there, why why would it not be considered art? Like it still took time and education and planning and like precision to take that photo you know so it's, it's just like mind-boggling to me that people would ever say that um because like i can't claim that i can go out and take landscape photos like yeah i'll take a couple snapshots they might be okay they're definitely not, not going to be art but like for someone that specializes in taking landscapes i would love to own pieces like that in my home to say you know i could never take this but this person did and to support them but I guess it's because I'm an artist, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Appreciation for the work yeah. that goes into it. Yeah, exactly. But the work doesn't make it art either. No. The, the, it's a really gray, the whole thing lives in a gray area, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where to start with it. Yeah. Except that like my, my, new, my new way of, of detailing it is creativity plus context. Okay. And then, and context could be anything. It, it doesn't, there's artworks that are, or in series that have a 
universal context that everyone can sort of like like all the whole Me Too movement and mm-hmm. creating work around women's empowerment. Right. That's a context that a lot of people know of and are aware of. But then there's like Dali is my favorite example where the context of his work is all very personal and mm-hmm. if he never became famous, you would never care. Yeah. But when you learn about the artwork and you learn about the why, then it becomes something different. Mm-hmm. Like he has a really great um, portrait of him and his brother. And one part of Dali's whole craziness is that Salvador Dali is named after his older brother who died. Really? Which is weird. Yeah. Like the parents are like, all right, I want to redo. And they named him the same thing. So that he never so knew weird. in his head, um, you know, kind of a confluence of situation plus whatever he was born with. But he never knew if he was here, if, if he was Salvador, if his brother was Salvador, and he was like impersonating his brother. Right. So he has this painting of, of two portraits put together, like what he imagined his brother to look like and what he looked like. And yeah. there's all these um, recreated symbols because he was fascinated with all the discoveries and atomic um, particles and things that were coming out of the time. Mm-hmm. And when you put all those ideas, like this was his brother and this is how he felt. And here is this stuff he was learning from science that was just coming out at the time. And all of the... Um, all of the molecules that he was adding to the pictures, they formed like these cherries, that are like a two cherries on a stem type mm-hmm. thing because okay. you know who was who. Yeah. And that's all this, I, this context. And now this thing that was a technically good painting becomes a piece of art because it has all this meaning, this meaning and stuff to behind it. it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But before it, it was just an, a weird looking portrait. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, when you're like out shooting, like, you know, your, your landscape photos, um, specifically, I guess, cause when you're doing your portraits, I'm assuming you have like, a, you have a whole concept and you have it planned out how you want to look. Do you do that with your landscapes as well? I do. Yeah. That's why I don't have very many okay. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so my arias are drawn. Yeah. I draw them out before I do them. Okay. I can show you if you want. Sure. Um, yeah. After. Yeah. Oh, it's right here. Oh, is it? Okay. Let me look. <laughs> show me stuff. Um, no one else can see this, so haha. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on enjoying our conversation. Yes. So, this one is left alone. Nice. Um, okay. This is drawn after. Wow. But that's how I composed it. I don't. I don't have the original drawing. Yeah. Which, if there's any portrait artists watching this, I've been to art shows where people have paid tens of thousands more for a piece of art mm-hmm. because they also got the artist's original concept drawing with it. Wow. Um, so that's, if you do those sketches, like here, I'll show you another sketch. Yep. Um, this was done after the fact, because I wanted to give the example of how I use Fibonacci to right. place everything. Did you post those on Facebook? Um, on a group message chat thing or something in a group? I think I remember seeing that photo with like the, what's it called? The golden ratio Maybe circle? this one. Because this one I actually now. left it in. The first four, okay. the first four of the arias all have wings. It's mm-hmm. kind of the motive between all of them. Yeah. The next two are going to be black and white with the, the drawing of the, Fibonacci on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is. Uh, da, 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 da. This is like I said when I was painting on top of them. Wow. Yeah, look at you go. With legit painting. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. And then this is the this is the concept for the next really oh, big yeah. one I'm gonna do. Oh wow. So there's this really cool song called Brutal Hearts. Uh-huh. And uh the the whole concept kind of follows my sort of emotional relationship with relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um there's a song Brutal Hearts and they uh it's about not looking for love. 
and how you, how these two people approach this thing. So they they have this two. This is gonna be the same model. Yeah. Um. Um. I'm gonna use. I want the model to be half Japanese, mm-hmm. and all of the cloth in this one's gonna be kimono, and then it'll be produced on this. This will be paper, but then. Instead of one of the other ones in here, the finished product is mounted on silk and okay. then framed. Right. These will be mounted on kimono ah. and, then, and then sold as a piece. Wow. Um, so, so these start as drawings, but then the comfortable isolation thing mm-hmm. um, is just research. Okay. Like, I know what I want, what I look for. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, you're on, or maybe you're not, but... Um, yeah, I have your website here. Like, if you go to landscapes, there's a piece called a drift. Okay. And searching, searching. And there's a piece called Edge of Solace. And though they're looking, I'm looking for singular, isolated objects in a large landscape. Yeah, I see it. And and that's the only thing I'll shoot. Okay. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, you're really just not like just going out and just shooting whatever. This is like really like planned, um, like down to the artist's statement. Like you're looking for very specific things. Like, you're wor- you're literally working the way that you know a painter would work when they're trying to put together a body of work, which is really cool. I think there's there's three things. Yeah. Um. There, because there's your bio, and then there's an artist statement, then there's a why statement. Mm-hmm. So, uh, an artist statement is is gives context to a body of work. Yeah. Right. And like these are all about X Y Z, but then the why statement is is the real literal. Like this is why I create, mm-hmm. and I think there, there's there's a significant difference, um, where an artist statement is is clinical and clear and uh, sanitized. Mm-hmm. The why is the is the real dirty, the real. Th- this is what hurt me, and this is why I create. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't have to be hurt. You yeah, know? It, it could be something that you love and you're trying and you're trying to re-represent every time. You make something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I am chasing a specific why. Yeah, right. And, and yeah, it, it kind of paints me into a hole, but it also gives you a lens. Um, like, there's creativity and limitations. Yeah. So that's that's try to what I'm working through. Yeah, for. very cool. No, it's, it's really cool talking to someone that, like I said, is not doing commercial side because it is like a whole other ball game and it's like a whole um other conversation like the questions that i normally ask people don't like really apply to this conversation which is no which is which is great i think it's really cool and it's i think this will be really interesting for people to listen to that you know only do the more commercial side of stuff um so when you're doing your your work and you're you know you're setting it up as you know collections basically and then when people are buying your prints how are they how are they finding you is it just through like a gallery show or like word of mouth or are you like marketing your stuff uh so most of my sales have come through art shows okay and then with hundreds of follow-up emails like i have people who i've been following up with for like two years really yeah, and at some point, I always kind of do like a gut check. I was like, "Hey, I feel like I'm bugging you, but if you're still interested, I'm happy to let you know when something new is available." And totally. And 19 out of 20 times, they're like, "Yes, um, I'm for it. Just keep me up. Sorry, I haven't responded. I'm just pulled in a bunch of ways because, I mean, my my average sales is like eight or around seven or eight thousand mm-hmm, dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's not 
people who can just throw that stuff away. Because it's because you're doing the limited prints, right? There's a lot of reasons that yeah. I, I price it there. I yeah. mean, price is marketing. Right. So um, you're trying to appeal to a certain audience. That's part of the price. But um, And yes, they, they are limited. But that whole world is, especially when connected to photography, is completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. There's no real basis. Right. You know? um, uh, what the hell is his name? Bansky mm-hmm. has editions of like 750 of his of his pieces with the, they're just photographs of his wall murals right okay right mm-hmm. and i saw one at basel that was selling for like thirty five thousand dollars. it was smaller than this table really it was smaller than this two and a half foot by two and a half foot table damn it was number 400 and something out of 700 and it was it was priced at forty five thousand. wow so there's a a lot more goes into price than the number of the limit or the, the lack of availability because it goes with like your name and who you are and what you've done. Okay. And more importantly, what other people have paid. Yeah. So if, once you get one sucker to pay for forty grand, yeah. Um, then you can't you can go lower, can you? <laughs> no, you you can do whatever you want. It's yeah. arbitrary, but you have the credibility right to say it it's it's been valued at this. Then I can continue valuing at this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And you know that big ass stadium they built over there? Yep. You know how much. Uh, uh, fifty-yard line seats are no for eight games. No idea. Two hundred grand. Jesus. For eight games. Really? Yeah. So Holy. there's people at every echelon that can buy your work. Wow. You just got to reach them. Yeah. So your question. Um, <laughs> art shows are primarily because that brings the qualified audience to right. to the right places. Yeah. But for me to do an art show at like one of these, like the picture you saw from Basel, is mm-hmm. like twenty grand. Yeah, just so for, y- for you to like just to produce show everything and produce everything, everything for the art space. Crazy. Um, so so yeah, art shows, and then I do a lot of like direct mailing mm-hmm. um, on social media when I'm when I have the energy for it. Yeah, yeah. Find the people who can obviously pay for your work, and then and then make a, a relationship with them. Yeah. And I have a huge social media pipeline. But I really only closed like less than twenty grand in sales in seven years. Yeah. Through social media itself. Yeah. Well, people on social media aren't really like the desired market, I guess, for this kind of stuff, anyways. No, one of my social media collectors is like a big time exec in, uh, I think, commercial airline parts. Okay. And um, he, they're they're people. Like almost everyone's on social media somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they are the desired audience, but that's not the desired outreach it's not the way that they want to be approached okay it's not it's not how they want to experience it but if you can create the relationship and then show your work in a bunch of different ways over time then you can maybe close one of those sales right yeah that makes sense um is there something that you get asked a lot that you like you feel like you're just always repeating the same question that that you kind of like wish more people knew about shooting like especially like fine art photography like you do everyone asks me how to sell their stuff yeah well besides um, that <laughs> which is why you have a course <laughs> um can you give me a for example i don't know um like maybe uh like i don't really want to talk about gear and stuff because it doesn't matter but i know that would be probably something or just like i don't know it's probably something about like how you find your locations or like, I feel like you probably get a lot of general questions about stuff all the time. I don't get questions from other artists or photographers very much. It's just people? Um, 
people used to ask me about gear, but I think that I don't. I've I've only ever had one camera and one lens. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. Um, people ask me about printing. Like yeah. What, what okay. do you get printing done? Yeah. And um, and I was just down there. I wanted to try to create like a relationship with Hanemule, but I pushed out on the conversation. <laughs> so um, I just took a sample and left. But people ask me like, where do I get my work printed? And all of my work is actually printed here in Vegas mm. at a boutique printer um, called Nevada Art Printers. Oh, really? And they primarily big landscape produ- production firm. Um, but you can get anything printed there. Yeah. And they're amazing. And they're all the way here in Nevada and they ship worldwide. But if you want someone closer to you, it's still it's always about relationship building. So yeah, um, I wish everyone knew that the type of paper you use will produce a different effect on the the type of artwork you're you're trying to share, like the story, the yeah. representation, and that um, it's not just push button. Just you know, you gotta do the tests. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta cycle in the work so that you are really creating something that feels the way you want it to feel right right yeah which is you said you're using thicker paper and that's because you want it to be more like a painting than an actual like photograph using textured painting yeah paper yeah papers yeah, yeah and there's all sorts of different paper. textures yeah um it, it 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 depends you know like watercolor images or watercolor papers you can print on but the pa- the the cast and the, the hues are always softer mm-hmm. and that would take an image that you wanted to be very striking and it would water it down for lack of a better term right or a metallic paper would make your darks too dark and you wouldn't be able to see into them and you wouldn't be able to um create the depth that maybe you want in a shadowy image right right so there's just it's worth putting your time into learning yeah yeah do you have any advice for anyone wanting to start out like maybe not even necessarily like fine art but like landscape photos you know what i mean um that just like you know wants to pick up a camera and they're like i want to make work like you <laughs> like me <laughs> or anyone that you know does yeah, like the fine art kind of works not that good <laughs> um i mean obviously it is if you're selling prints and doing courses well, there's tons of people selling prints and, uh but good question <laughs> <laughs> like a muscle reflex of that it's not that good yeah um self-deprecating artist <laughs> advice for starting photography or advice for starting and selling your work yeah i guess do starting and selling your work uh you have to cultivate a different audience mm-hmm. I, th- I see a lot of people um creating a online audience that is primarily other creators right and and turn this towards you a little bit oh i'm sorry it's okay and then you end up um with a you end up being frustrated like let's let's say you have thirty thousand people following you and and they love your photography and they're all most of them are shooting pictures or love taking pictures of themselves or, or whatever then you're like well look now i have this one piece and it's composed beautifully and i have this whole story and i want to sell it right and you you bring it to that same audience and then it's me it's it's just birds chirping and people are like, uh, no, I, because they all think they can do it themselves. Right. And then you get stuck in this idea. Well, now no one wants my work, right? Uh, or you get stuck in the the flip side of that is you are creating and and you feel like you have something really good, but you feel like there's a lot of other artists who are doing stuff similar that's also really good, and you're like, well, who would buy my stuff when, um, when Ella has 
an awesome portrait so it's the same color scheme and maybe they'd want hers instead or maybe I think hers is better. Well, the people who are buying work aren't following everyone. Right. You know? Um, and that audience is completely different. There's people who have collected my work mm-hmm. and think like I'm the greatest and, they, and I hear them say it and I don't, it doesn't internalize to me because I see other artists who are way better than me. Right. But to them, their limit of their exposure is me and maybe some other pieces and that's the type of audience you want to create um the actual art buyers are not exposed to the millions of creators on social media right right and uh and those those are the people so you gotta you gotta you gotta find an audience and it can't be an audience of creators right no that makes sense um i guess the people that are more so looking to get into education, like that would be their audience, but not if you're wanting to actually sell your work on like that art, fine art level where you're like, you, like you were doing. To yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to collectors or yeah. people who are decorating their homes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, is there anything that you wish you knew when you started? All of this stuff. Yeah. All of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I wish that I could have somehow fortified myself against social media. Mm. Yeah. Like, I wish someone, I wish when Facebook came out, it came out with the disclaimers, like, this is going to become your life if you <laughs> let it be. Yeah. And, uh, and you need to start thinking hard about um, the difference between a digital and a, and a real life. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, th- there's stuff that I wish I knew. I wish I knew how to do research on art shows. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Because I've wasted money on shows. Totally. You know, you spend a few thousand to put a show together and then the right audience doesn't show up. Right. And that then, then you're just like, you're left with empty hands or debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one, I think. Yeah, wasted money on art stuff is always fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you can chalk it up to the learning process, but it doesn't have to be. It's a lot of things people throw away, like ah, oh, it, was, it was a learning experience, but it didn't have to be. Right. If you did, it could have been a learning experience, but maybe paper. with a profit. You know what I mean? Or, I mean, it could have been a learning experience in an article that you read that yeah. said, "Don't do this thing." And yeah. You paid attention. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. for your course, is that something that you kind of just decided that you wanted to do, or was there like a demand for it? There was a. There was enough of a demand yeah. for me to to be to, to start it out to right. try it. Yeah. Um, because a lot of my learning by trial and error. Yeah. And I see, I would talk to people, and my conversations would always end up on the business of art, selling yeah. your work or selling or producing your work or whatever. Yeah. Well, and it's something that people hardly know anything about, so it makes there's sense. There's nothing really out there yeah. about it. Yeah. So um, I was like okay, fine, why don't we just put all of these people who are asking me the same fucking questions into a group? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then that turned into a course, mm-hmm. which was my goal when I created the group because I, I saw it as an, as an opportunity to monetize myself. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely the business side of it was appealing to me. But um, but it, it started because people were asking me yeah. the yeah. questions. And when when I talked to Nicole, who, who ended up writing an article about selling art, on, on F-Stoppers, um, and we started talking about my career, 
And then she was like, well, this would be really cool for people to know because no one knows how to do this thing. No. And I didn't really realize people, I didn't really realize there was no way for people to learn about that stuff. No, because, well, prime example, I went through university and got my fine art degree. And there's tons of information about applying, applying for grants. There's tons of information about friggin' color theory and, and art history and um, how to like make limited edition prints, but nothing about pricing, nothing about selling, nothing about doing like gallery shows or anything like that. Like the only business side of information that I can remember without going back and looking through my notes was literally how to apply to a grant to get money from the government to continue making art without having to have a day job. That was it. Yeah. I don't I don't can't think of anything else that would have been useful for the business side. Uh-huh. And even in photography school it was the same thing. Like there's nothing really out there for like businessy stuff unless you're talking to people that have made courses like yourself. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't get it. I, I think it's asinine because you can't be a professional artist if you're not making income. Yeah. So So yeah, I suppose there is some demand for it. Um, and I uh, now continue doing the course as long as I can do it while being my even-keeled energy self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I did the beta course to see if I had anything worth sharing, and then that yeah. turned into the actual course. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet. Um, what do you have going on in the future that you want to plug? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so I have another launch coming up in March. Yep. It's on March 16th. I'm doing, uh, and these are free, the webinars for the membership drive. Nice. Um, so I'll do, I'm thinking I'm doing two webinars on the seven principles of marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do one on pricing. And then I'll do an open one. And it'll be like, it'll be a webinar, just live and take Q&A and talk mm-hmm. and, and share. Um, these things that I think, I think the seven principles of marketing are, one of the most fun topics I get to talk about because they apply to everything. They apply to this conversation. They apply to all the conversation I had downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I meet someone, whether it's on social or not, or at an art show or anything. So um, I think those principles are, are fun to talk about. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, after, well, I'm not trying to sell it to anyone, but um, after <laughs> March, uh, the whole course is not going to be lifetime access anymore. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, that's like my, my, my push for right now. That's right. one of the principles of marketing. Like yeah. right now, wh- what can I do to make it right now? Yeah. But I feel like the course is super underpriced. And when I, I want to serve people, but I also think that there's things I learned in the course that, in the course that cost like me hundreds of dollars in education yeah. before I got it. Right. And, um, and that's what I share. So I think it's going to be, an, an actual yearly membership instead of a lifetime access. Yeah. But that's what's coming up for me in the art of selling art. Um, I don't have another art show this year until until Basel at the end okay. of the year. That's concrete for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, if there is anything that new that pops up before I post this, just let me know and I can put like links to it or more information about it in the description. Um, so I guess I really just have two questions left. Mm-hmm. I guess the first one would be what's all your social medias and your website so people can find you. And again, I will link those all but just say them out right now say them out i like hearing the canadian in your voice <laughs> um, it's not that bad is it <laughs> no it's not i didn't i didn't notice it until like 
five minutes ago you said something and I started cheesing over here. <laughs> um, social media. So I am real Jason Matias uh-huh. on Instagram. And then the art of selling art on Instagram too. Mm-hmm. And the art of selling art has an open free Facebook group. Mm-hmm. There's like another 1,200 other artists in there. Nice. Um, on Facebook and you can just request that. Please answer the questions because they help me serve you. Yeah. Um, and then my website is jasonmatias.com. Perfect. And my TED Talk, which seems to go nowhere, <laughs> um, is on there also. So yeah. So if you like. I'm probably going to watch that on the plane ride home. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. So then the last question is, and it's my like silly question that I ask everyone because it's fun to see what people say. Um, if I gave you $10 million and was just like, have fun, what would you do? Like, would you keep shooting or would you just go buy an island in Hawaii somewhere? <laughs> um, I think I would probably deposit it and then go to sleep. Nice. And like have that one restful, like everything's taken care of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like everything would be just okay yeah and then i would continue i have some really elaborate ideas Mm -hmm. that i've been wanting to do that require like funding like i want to there's a place for my photography that exists between landscapes and Mm -hmm. the aria collection yes where those two meet um and i have some of the photos i have one of them designed um and i've done one of them i I can show you it's called the mountain okay in the fine art section um creeping creeping and they're they're just high cost what I want to produce and I haven't done them because the next one is is going to be a a woman in full prosthetic makeup Ooh. that looks like stone. I want her to look like a monolith coming out of the water. Yeah. And then I want to put her in a water scene, like photograph it in one real scene, um, where she looks like a monolith with an arch and water going through. And then I want to see that at an art show, like a seven foot piece of art. And I want people to walk past it five times before they realize it's not a landscape and it's right. an actual woman. Yeah. So the prosthetic makeup is going to be a really big but expensive part yeah. of that whole project. And the whole series has images designed um, in this like smash up of, of the human body and landscapes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I think $10 million would get that done. Hell yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs> you could do several. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I would love to see that. Um, I'm trying to find that picture that you, what was it called again? The mountain. It's oh, the mountain. It's in um, the fine art section. One of these say fine art, or they say dreamscapes. Dreamscapes. Sorry, because I'm annoying like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Mountain, where are you? Is it in chasing, maybe? No. It's good. Did it all load? Can you scroll down again? I think so. I mean, the internet here isn't great, so you never know. I feel like there should be another one. We'll find it. But yeah, like one of the themes that run through my work is personifications of nature. Mm -hmm. So like in this picture right here, there's a shape of a woman underneath that. This is water. Yeah. And there's, I don't know if some people can see it, some people can't. I can, yeah. But there's there's a whole collection of work that is has faces or bodies or animals in the the nature photograph right yeah so if you go from landscapes to that to aria and you find the place where they kind of mix yeah um yeah and that's that that whole finding your voice idea getting getting down to what you really want to create yeah that's awesome sweet 
This is a, a completely different conversation than I've ever had on this, so that's super fun. Yay. Yay. All right. Well, what do you think? Snacks? Snacks, yeah. Snacks. I do snacks. I like snacks. All right, let's turn this off and go find peeps. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much, for, dude, for, like, coming up and chatting and bringing me Sour Patch Kids and <laughs> hanging and out for an hour. Them. Yeah. Everybody eat half the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Here Oh, perfect. Oh, I saw this on the front page of your website when I was looking at it on my phone. So I don't know why I can't see it on my laptop, but I did see it on my phone. And I did, I couldn't figure out what it was for like a solid, like three minutes. I was just staring at it. And then I was like, oh, shoulder blades or shoulder bones. What are they called? Clavicles. Clavicles. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, neck. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so that cloud is from Barcelona, yeah. and those mountains in the background are the uh, Olympic. Wow. Yes, no, I love that. So that's what I, I that's the direction I want to go with the whole body of work. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. All right, let's turn this off, and yeah, thanks so much, dude. High five. Yeah. <laughs>